Hey guys, on uh, on this week's episode, we talk for a few more minutes about the Sixers' ongoing GM search. Just a few minutes. Give brief previews for JJ Redick and Jonah Bolden, and then dive into the Sixers' mailbag. As always, if you could please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or review, particularly on Apple, and enjoy the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to last week's Sixers News Tonight. I'm your host, Derek Bodner, and thanks for listening. How you doing, Rich? <laughs> that, of course, our propensity to release a podcast right when news breaks, as we did last week, or record a podcast. I, I think the news last last time came out about a half an hour after we turned off our Skype session, but I, it is what it is. It, they will hire somebody right when we're done. I'll, I'll guarantee it. I'll guarantee it. I think I made the mistake of bragging about the previous podcast. Yes, that it how, held up. <laughs> how there wasn't news uh, that time. So I'm just going to shut my big mouth on this one and well, assume that there's a full front office overhaul in the most interesting way possible as soon as this gets put in the can. In the podcasting business, the – perfect approach to take is to shut your mouth that will come out perfectly um all right real quick before we get going there's a bunch of a couple of house cleaning things to take care of we never do this uh so i'm gonna try to do it this time um we are starting our season previews over at the athletic for everyone who is subscribed you know we're really kicking back up into gear now as the season gets closer that training camp in what about not even two weeks a little over a week so we're getting there, uh, and we're coming back ourselves in terms of, of, of kicking it into high gear. Thank you, everyone who has subscribed already. If you haven't, go check it out. Um, yeah, we're, know, just, think, we're, we're just a week away, man. It's yeah, just a little over a week away. It's, me- it's, it, I'd me- like to say it snuck up, but it really didn't. Media day next Friday, and then the rare training camp that starts on the weekend, I guess, because of the uh, the China games that the Sixers right. are going to play. Their their schedule's been bumped up a little bit, but yeah, the uh, the content will be a flowing next Friday. Yeah, you know, I think I think last year was a little bit of an experiment, uh, a little bit like a science experiment, sort of like Joshua Harris described the Sixers rebuild as, and hopefully, like the Sixers rebuild, what we did was set ourselves up to learn from it and to set ourselves up to be better in the future because of it. And you know, I think I'm proud of the work that we did, but I also hope that we can learn from it and cover the team even better this upcoming season. And I think one of the things that I was kind of thinking about, and I, I didn't necessarily intend to bring this up on the podcast, but, you know, here we are and it's it's topical. You know, I think when we tend to have our um, team meetings, they tend to be at sports bars. and never really know if an idea is a good idea or just kind of like a, a drunken idea that we're throwing around and sounds good at the time. But we've kind of been debating whether or not to spend a little less time on game-to-game analysis. Because I think there's two problems with that. And not that we wouldn't cover games, but we wouldn't spend quite as much time analyzing each specific game. Because I think games, the ones that really matter, the playoff games down a stretch, then the analysis is really important. But I think what I'm more interested in are the trends, the long-term trends. What does this game mean for the team going forward? What do their recent play mean for the team going forward? And also I think that games tend to have a really short lifespan in terms of how they're interesting. 
So I think what I'd say is take a step back, take that time that we would spend really analyzing, you know, the run that happened in the third quarter, flip the game around, and instead focusing that on features and long form analysis that kind of, you know, it has a little wider of a lens. The quick thing I'd add to that, it would be, you know, it's the same amount of content, but it would just be packaged kind of in a different way. Right. And rather rather than trying to force analysis by a single game approach and make it seem like every game is, you know, I think there's a anal- time for analysis of when a game, like I said, is truly important. You know, what caused them to lose this game that could turn their season? And then there's, to me, the much more interesting of, well, what's been going on lately? What, Which of these trends is real for the long term? What does this mean for how they're going to end up? And just taking that time, you know, we would go home, rewatch a game, look over video, slice up video, look over stats, look over trends, and you devote that kind of time to each individual game. And it's just should we take that time and redevote it to, like I said, a little more trends, a little more features, things of that sort. We're not sure. It, it's something yeah. that we're unsure of, and we'd really appreciate some feedback if you are an athletic subscriber. Uh, also, um, I want to mention, because I never do, if you can, please do leave us a rating review. Uh, it, it really does help us reach more Sixers fans. We appreciate it. We never bug for it. We really should. Uh, it works well. I promise you I will never, ever, ever do an entire podcast reading reviews. Um, but if you can leave one, we do appreciate it. It'll help out your fellow Sixers fans. Also, check out the CLNS Media app. Uh, you have ourselves, <clears throat> uh, Sam Vecini, Danny LaRue, Coach Nick, a whole bunch of great content on there. Uh, they have been great to us, and we uh, we really appreciate those guys and what they do in their perspective and being part of their network. Also, one final thing, just because I have kind of plugged this in the past, you know, I am, I've called it a secret project for a while now. Uh, I didn't mention it before officially because I don't know the release date. I still don't know the release date of it. I am writing a book about the Sixers rebuild. It might come out a year from now. It might come out two years from now. It might come out three years from now. My publisher, Triumph Books, has been tremendous in terms of being flexible on the on on the due date and on the release date because I want to make sure I get have talked to as many people as I can, get as many perspectives as I can, and really do the work justice. And they have been wonderful at that. You know, my kind of my approach is that I'd much rather write a good a good book that doesn't sell than a bad book that does sell. And I don't think that's necessarily always the opinion of the publisher who's out there to make money, but it's the way I've kind of viewed it. And like I said, I just, I want to take my time and they've been perfect on it. I don't know when it's going to come out, but do look for that in the future. And the only reason I even mention it is because I have teased it in the past. So fuck it. Now it's out there in, in, in the open. I think that's all I have for house cleaning. I think you summed it up pretty well. Let's, uh, let's move on to the, uh, the news of the day. And I guess there isn't really news of the day exactly kind of, What's been happening over the last couple of weeks, but, uh, yeah, the Sixers GM search. I, th- I think this week some national writers finally caught on to, oh shit, they don't have a GM. And that became, <laughs> it was a- easy to forget. It was very easy to forget. I mean, we all, everybody kind of goes into hibernation mode in, uh, in late August, early September. I, I get it. But, uh, yeah, it does feel like this was the week people started taking notice. Uh, I think all of the people who have been interviewed, and correct me if I'm wrong here, last week they did all the outside people, and that's Gerson Rosas from Houston, Justin Zanuck from Utah, Larry Harris from the Warriors. 
David Griffin was already interviewed earlier in the off season, right? And they kind of, we'll, we'll get back to him in a second. Uh, then this week they handled the, the internal people. That's, you know, the same people we always talk about here. Mark Eversley, Ned Cohen, Alex Rucker, Elton Brand. Apparently they had been interviewed this week. I think Gonzo had that in, in his piece on, on the ringer. And, uh, then who are the other people? Oh, and then Maury and the Nuggets GM, Arturis Karnasovas. Yeah, I don't even, down. I don't even think they ever got, yeah, right. I don't even think they ever interviewed them. I think they requested permission on Maury. Didn't get that. And I think then, uh, the Nuggets guy backed out, uh, is I think how that went about. So let's go to the one thing that stuck out to me. I, I forget who, who had the, uh, the Griffin reporting. Keith Pompey. Keith had that. And he said it was a matter of Griffin. Here, here's his exact tweet. They want to make collaborative decisions instead of a GM who will have the final say is the exact way Keith worded it. So, and, and again, that's what we've largely been talking about for a long time. I'll throw this to you. Why are those things considered mutually mutually yeah. exclusive? I don't no, understand. No, it's absurd. That. They're not. It's at every interview process in 2018 wants a group of people who will be collaborative. That doesn't mean that the GM isn't going to have final say. That's almost never presented as an either or as mutually exclusive. And I think if you're going to want to read the tea leaves, what that probably means is they're looking for a guy who will be okay with Brett Brown having sign off. You know, I I don't want to spe- say that that's what they're doing, but I wonder if that's what collaborative decision making really means. Because like I said, every good GM that you'll ever meet, every good decision maker, every good leader, and a lot of times I'd like to use leader instead of decision maker because it's really what you're looking to do. But every good one of those will be collaborative. He'll hire people he trusts, which, by the way, it, it seems like the Sixers aren't willing to let them do or at least aren't guaranteed to let them do. But they'll hire people they trust. They'll delegate responsibly. They will, you know, digest all the information from all the people that they've hired and that they trust, and they will make a decision. But ultimately, somebody is going to be held responsible for that decision. Somebody is going to have to sign off on decisions. And a lot of times a GM isn't making decisions as much as he's signing off. He's kind of directing the people underneath him. But some there is somebody who has that final look over and presents that information then to management and presents those decisions that the group wants to make to management. It's ultimately somebody's responsibility. To suggest that that is not going to be the case here either means A, the ownership group who ultimately has final say is going to have way more influence than you would typically want. And I'm not sure I, I think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to have, I think they've always had a, a pretty big, you know, part in this, but it's usually to make sure that the right questions are being asked, not to be the ones actually making the decision. Or somebody in that front office is going to have a very significant, higher than normal significant role in that. And I just wonder if quote unquote collaborative and it being presented as an either or, means are you okay with Brett Brown having sign off on these kind of moves? That's kind of what I wonder. If Brett Brown now has that responsibility, are they willing to walk that back? And I think that's probably more likely to be the sticking point on some of these GM candidates than, oh, well, we want a guy who's collaborative. No shit. Every, every, every organization in almost any industry 
wants a guy who is collaborative. Yep. Can't really add too much more to that. I think Gonzo in his piece said that he was told the front office isn't taking any interview requests until they address the media en masse at Brett Brown's head coach's luncheon next week. That'll be interesting. Are they, <laughs> yeah. Do you think we could do a, uh, we could do like a mock trade call and we can see how it works maybe? Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, no, I, that'll be, uh, That'll be interesting. That kind of makes it seem like they've already made a decision on what they're going to do. It's just, it's, it's, and look, again, we've, we've been on quote unquote team Brett for a long time. We think he's been underrated as a coach here. We think the, you know, a lot of the criticism and the calls for his job that have happened pretty much every year he's been in the league, including last year, including early last year when they were struggling has been ridiculous. We think he's the right person to lead this. You know, from a coaching standpoint going forward, I do always worry in every situation about a coach having too much say. And I hope, I hope that my fears are unfounded here. And that has nothing to do with Brett, the basketball person. That has to do with how organizations should be structured, but we'll see. We'll team, see. team two jobs. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. And I I, it's, it's so like I've never seen. They started off the, I guess one more comment on the GM search, then we'll move on because there's really nothing to talk about until something happens. But they took the most enticing job in recent history. And I'm not going to go as far as say as a history of sport, but probably in recent history because good teams with long term, I mean, I think ESPN's, uh, franchise rankings, which projected over the next three years had the Sixers players ranked third. And I think they had money, the cap situation either fifth or eighth, somewhere in that range. So this is a really enticing job. They've done a real good job of making this really enticing opportunity the least enticing and the least attractive that they could. First of all, you start off from the, you can't hire your own coach, which most GMs do. And by the way, I don't think the GM should be able to hire his coach, their own coach. I think Brett has deserved the contract extension that he got and the future uh, security that he has. But now you can't, not only that, you might have to share decision-making responsibility with the coach. And also, you can't bring in your own staff. They've really worked their tails off to make this job as 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 least attractive, as less attractive as they could. It's amazing. It's amazing. I think that's a good way to put it too. They've they've taken steps to ensure that what should be an extremely enticing job comes with I, so many different circumstances that people are going to have to deal with. It's uh, it's interesting. All right. The, yes, uh, all right, let's, uh, by the way, did you see, this is kind of a uh, off topic. Did you see the Sports Illustrated rankings this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so, to, okay, so to illustrate the point that, like you said, the players, the Sixers players are ranked really high, you know, in terms of future rankings because A, they're good and B, they're young. The Sixers had five freaking players. In the top 62 on Sports Illustrated. And again, that's not done scientifically. Although the two guys who do it, uh, Rob Mahoney and Ben Galver, I'm sure they work their, their asses off to try and make it as, uh, as accurate as possible. It's an impossible task to do that. But five in the top 62, man, when, and this is current ability too. This isn't projecting any growth. So the five that we're talking about, Embiid at number nine, Simmons at 26, 
Covington 48, uh, Sharich at 54, and Reddick at 62. And we can quibble over those rankings, and, and, and no ranking is ever going to be perfect. No ranking is gospel. But it's an interesting snapshot of how the league views the Sixers players, or at least national people who don't live and die by a team view the Sixers players. And to have six in, or five in the top 62, not counting Markel Fultz, who we all hope has big improvement ahead of him, it is pretty amazing. It is pretty incredible. Um, and it shows how far they've come. It really does. And uh, I put this poll out on Twitter. I don't want to get into a huge argument about this. But uh, for those of you who think Dario is a no-brainer over Covington and dismissively just push Covington aside, these guys aren't a part of Sixers Twitter. They They have a good view of the entire league, and Covington's ranked ahead of Sarge. By a little bit. Yeah. And I, th- I think the key takeaway is that Covington, Sharch, and Reddick are so close. That you have so much depth that we can have this discussion. I lean one way. Um, I think most Sixers fans probably lean the other way. It doesn't truly matter. Because you have them both. They're both going to fill pretty major roles. Uh, it is it's, it's off-season. Prob- it's probably not an either-or thing either, too. It's not like... You're going to have to keep one of Covington or Sarge. It's probably not how it's going to turn right. out. In the Although it will be interesting once those new contracts come up. That's when you start wondering, you know, you have to make some harder decisions um, because the Sixers cap space in a couple of years could be interesting. But either of those players will probably be under contracts that can be movable anyway and movable for value. And that's always when I determine whether or not a contract is good or bad. Is Is he an asset or is he a negative when you try to make a trade? I think both players will be an asset. It's, uh, you know, this is rewinding it back to two years ago, but I don't think we can emphasize enough how important it was that Sarge came over after that second, second year. Yep. yep. If, if he waits one more year and let's just say his, his rookie season doesn't exist. He, he plays at the level that he did last year, except he came over, uh, you know, after three, later. after three years abroad right. and he's making what? Seven, eight million. That's going to be a big difference come this summer, especially when they go "quote unquote" star chasing uh, next July for sure. All right, uh, let's see next topic. So, I guess one of the things we're going to start doing on this podcast, kind of season preview types, we'll pick a player or two each podcast. Uh, we'll also write about it as we mentioned. So, theathletic.com. But if you're not a subscriber or you prefer to digest your content in audio form, Rich, real quick. Uh, just a couple of minutes on each. What, what do you think about Jonah Bolton and JJ Redick? So let's start with Bolton, who I, who I wrote about this week. And uh, I, I don't know, man. Why, why am I so down on Jonah right now? I, I don't feel like I should be, but his end of the season at Maccabi where he, he wasn't playing and that's partially due to the fact that you're only allowed to play a certain amount of Americans and they had a really experienced team or I shouldn't say Americans, foreigners, uh, non-Israeli players. Uh, so that was, that was tough. And then he just didn't play that well in summer league. We, uh, we don't have our old secret source of, uh, of synergy data anymore that track pretty much everyone that plays basketball from the NBA to division three to Euro league. And God, I miss that. <laughs> but, uh, like we don't Buddy, have, both- I've had that since 2009 and not having it now is, is, is tough. I'm right there with you. So that we, we recently, uh, had to, had to say goodbye to that, uh, 
It was a good run. Um, but we don't have like bold and spot up numbers anymore, but I, I'm worried about his shot. I think he was, you know, he shot 40% at, at Red Star from, uh, from three two years ago and 30% the last two years, but both years 60 and 53% from the line, which makes you wonder if that second year is a little more representative of what he's going to be. And God, man, summer league, it just felt like he was three feet short on every shot as, as much as he wanted to, to make those threes, like it, it, he would fire it and I'd be like, no shot. That's, that's short. And, uh, for me, Bolden, when you hear people in passing talk about him, it's, uh, it's, it's like ability to move his feet, ability to stretch the floor could be a great fit with Simmons. I agree with all of those things in theory, but he's got to put them together. He's got to he's got to actually make those skills consistent, and he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, I mean he, he he's very much a uh, you know a, you you like the thought of Jonah Bolden right now, and he's got a lot of skill sets that you look at and you go he could be this, he could be that. But like you said, he's really not any of those right now. If you ask me what Jonah Bolden can do at an NBA level right now, I'm I'm not sure what I would come up with. And you see kind of the beginning stages of these skills. But he does need to put it together. He needs to put, and even defensively, which I think is probably his, his most projectable uh, contribution right now. You know, I think in terms of decision making and and rotations and being in the right place, it's still not consistent enough for him to do that and really contribute on a night to night basis in the NBA. So season preview wise, I think we're going to see a lot of Jonah Bolden uh, in Delaware, and and so he can work on those skills. The concern is he's almost twenty three years old at this point, uh, and you're talking about a guy who. Right now, we don't know what you can count on from him. And if we're talking about having having the same conversation in a year or two years, it's a real legit concern. So I think he's a, you know, he's a second round pick. And I think at some point we have to remind ourselves that he was a second round pick. I think he's a type of, of a smart second round pick to take because if he improves two or three things, he can really become a, a, a rotation player in this league. He's got the athleticism and the burgeoning skill set to be useful. But I think we just have to keep our expectations in check just a little bit. I think I called it the, the insert GM here special that he signed new for, for four seasons here, his contract. Um, yeah, he was a really good defensive playmaker in the Euro league. He was, I think he was eighth in steals, seventh in blocks, fifth in defensive rebounding. Those are smaller numbers because possessions are kind of, kind of hard to come by in the Euro league. It's pretty competitive, uh, kind of a, drag it out half court type of game. But I think what you said about rotations and is he going to be in the right spot? That's different in the NBA. There's way more ground to cover in the NBA. The Euro league is physical and the floor is cramped. And, you know, one of his things that, that I think is projectable is I think he has really good hands. Like, you know, those defensive playmaking numbers, he can create steals. He can get blocks. Yep. My question is, can he do it at the NBA level when there's more uh, ground to cover to do those things? Nope. Real quick twitch guy. Um, but he's also, I mean, as we saw from Rashawn Holmes, he's got to be in the right spots. And I think that's going to be a, a, a big key for him. To me, success for him. I'm, I'm not expecting too much from him this year. You know, it, it, he'll, he'll get a chance to play for sure. They, they like him enough to, to bring him over. Uh, for me, however, this is done. If he, cause you have guys like Muscala, and Amir and Wilson Chandler, those guys are all expiring. If he can give the coaching staff in front office enough confidence that he'll 
be able to fill in in a rotation role off the bench next season, right. I would consider that a big win. Agreed. If you go into next season and you're not looking for an Amir Johnson type, that would be a huge win. And I don't know exactly what he's going to have to show this year to make you comfortable with that, especially since next yeah. year <laughs> you're hoping that they're going to be contending. But that, that that's kind of the goal for the season, for sure. Yeah, I have no idea how to define that, though. No. Uh, JJ? Uh, well, and, I mean, and Mike, Mike had a piece on JJ, a season preview that was released, um, on Thursday. So go check that out. I, I think he, I, and I, I read that right before we came on. I think Mike hit the, the uh, the nail on the head with Reddick. It's mostly a matter of can he keep it up? All of the sprinting he does, the DHO's career high in shots last year. Can he maintain that? And, he, uh, he takes care of his body. I'm sure I, I haven't looked it up, but I'm sure if you look at some of the tracking numbers, he's, he's way up there in terms of miles run and how much energy he exerts during a game. You know, he religiously takes care of his body. He's a, uh, he's a big beat guy, as you told me last year. Uh, and it's, it, I think it's just a matter of doing that again. You know, he's, uh, I, I think we saw the effect he had on the offense last year. He, uh, he was, Mike had a stat, he was second in the league in screen assists by a guard. And it's funny that guards who are sharpshooters like him and Kyle Korver are weirdly the best screeners in the league now. And it makes sense because their man can't leave them, uh, when they're setting those screens. And if you're willing to do it, you can really create some good opportunities for, for their other players. To me, it's just a matter of keeping that up. And, and can he do that? And I, you know, I, I think like when he was struggling last year, at the beginning of the season, he wasn't worried at all. He was like, look, I've, I've been doing this for forever. I know at the end of the year I'm going to shoot a pretty good number from three. And he did. He shot 42%. And, uh, he seems to, he seems to have it down. I, it's just, you know, he's what, 34 years old now? Can he, can he keep that up? And I do think he can, he can largely keep it up. Even if there's, you know, a slight dip, you're still going to get 90 to 95% of the JJ Reddick we saw last year. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I think, I think that's a fair expectation. I think that's the right goals. Um, you know, he said in that article that Mike wrote that last year, he, he still felt like he was 27. And, and is that going to be the case again this year? Um, you know, the, in, in terms of making his life easier, you wonder if maybe if Markel Fultz comes out and is the guy that the Sixers thought when they drafted, you know, can he get him some easy looks that don't require him to run off of 13 screens? Like can, can Markel collapse the defense and, and create some, Easy stationary shots for JJ. Uh, can maybe Markel being a versatile defender make some, you know, give JJ some easier matchups defensively where he's not checking the point guard as much as he was? Uh, can, can you more realistically put Reddick on the team's weakest offensive player and maybe save some of his legs that way? Uh, you know, I think that's where you're going to look for the improvement. Like we said, I think a podcast or two ago, you're not going to come out and see a new JJ Reddick. It's much more, can he keep up what he's been doing and can you put him in better spots to succeed? And I think that's where you're looking. But by and large, 95% of Reddick's season last year, that, that that's kind of what I'm expecting. I, I looked at some of his cleaning the glass numbers. Last year, massive bump in his assist numbers. He, I, I think joining the Sixers in a lot of ways was kind of a, such a fresh start for him because he had mentioned how stale and how uh, passive aggressive those Clippers teams were. 
And for him to join this young team, it, w- it wasn't just that that helped him out. He was given a new role where he was making more decisions on those dribble handoffs. I think he went from the 26th percentile of wings and assists the season before to the 78th percentile last year. And he kept his turnovers down at a reasonable level too. Uh, and for him, it's just going to be trying to continue that. Cause I, I think he mentioned that earlier this offseason. He's like, I'm focused on trying to keep, keep it fresh because it's like last year getting to 52 wins and all of the success and all of the cool things the Sixers were doing on the floor was kind of a surprise and it was new to all these guys, which made it fun. So now it's kind of the hard thing. It's about running it back and you know, we, we've already been here, but can we, can we continue to have this be a fun atmosphere where we try to grow? And that's, he's, you know, he, he's a big part of that in the, in the locker room. For sure. All right. Let's move on to some mail bags, uh, because we are still in the off season. So we need some help on these. First one from Thiago Scabia at T Scabia on Twitter with TJ's contract up at the end of the season. What is the right play for the Sixers, assuming Fultz is a go and taking into consideration his value and locker room vibe? His cap holds one point six million after the season, right? It sounds right. I don't. I don't have that number off the top of my head. I think as a minimum contract, it's basically just his salary. Uh, in that case, you're certainly not extending him, right? Because again, you're looking for a a, a star next summer. And you can you, you have his bird rights too. So if yep. if TJ continues to to provide the value and you're comfortable bringing him back at a at a number, you can still do that. Yep. No, I think the much more interesting question is: Is it realistic for TJ to be back next year? And that I don't. <laughs> so I think TJ has been great. I think he's <laughs> a success story of what they've done over the over over that three year span. I think he's. Um, you know, what he's been able to accomplish in the NBA to turn himself into a legitimate backup point guard has been great to watch. I think he is good in the locker room. I think his teammates love him. He's certainly a hard worker. I'm not sure it makes sense for him to be on the Sixers in 2019-20. And not that he wouldn't make sense. Um, oh man. Sorry. Not, not that he wouldn't make sense as a third string point guard, but that it wouldn't make sense for the Sixers to pay as much as other teams would be willing to do. You know, I think someone's going to look at TJ and say, okay, that's a backup point guard. Let's give him five or six million for a year or two. Bring him in, solidify our, our bench, at least have somebody who will pressure the ball and make good decisions with it. And I don't think it's going to make sense for the Sixers as a third string point guard, a third string ball handler to do that. Uh, like I, it, it's, it's going to be a tough decision, but I do think there is, I, I would kind of be surprised if the Sixers are the team that's willing to pay him the most money and give him the biggest role. And I think he kind of deserves to be able to go out in free agency and get that money and get that role. That that sound you hear is 98% of our listeners' heart, hearts breaking. <laughs> I love yeah. like, TJ's great, but it, it's, there are going to be some, some roster consequences, unfortunately. It, this is true. He is an absolute cult hero, uh, and I'm not – Saying that's just limited to fans either, because <laughs> he's the best. But yes, I agree. God, especially if Markel can come back to the level we all hope he can. Yeah, it, it doesn't right. make quite as and much it, sense to have him around. Everything I just said assumes Markel is a very legitimate 
NBA player and, and closer to the guy that you drafted than the guy he was last year. If that doesn't happen, then yeah, you, you, you a, a reliable backup point guard like TJ would make some sense, but it'll, if, 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 if let's put it this way, if TJ's on a team in 2019, 20, then I think something has probably gone wrong. Remember when Stauskas sat in the front row at the playoff games? Yeah. TJ, TJ can do that. He can sign like a seven million, <laughs> he can sign like a seven million dollar a year contract on a lottery team. He, I, I would even suit him up on the bench. He could sit on the bench in street clothes. Uh, <laughs> I'd petition Adam Silver to have that happen. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. So there's a, a kind of related question since we talked about, um, you know, Markel working out basically. Uh, one second. This is from Jaden Stevens at Stevens Jaden on Twitter. If Fultz's shot comes back on the wrong side of workable, how long is he a sixer? And this was kind of a, a two part question. He did then ask if it does work, how does that change free agency? We'll kind of address that when we get closer to free agency. But if it doesn't work out, what is, uh, you know, what, what's his future? How long do they give him is essentially the question. I don't want to talk about this, man. I'm getting depressed just thinking here, about it. Here, here, here's what I'll say. And I think this is probably an optimistic answer. I think they'll give him his, his entire rookie, rookie contract, rookie scale contract to prove whether or not he can be the player that they wanted. I don't think this is an instance where if he comes back and he struggles again with his shot, that they'll move on quickly. Uh, in part because I think the trade value just won't be there, but in part because there is a lot of talent. I think the team believes in that talent and I think they're going to give him every chance they can to see if he can recapture what he has. So that's kind of the reason I included this question is because I kind of have the optimistic take and I don't expect them to move off of him anytime soon. There are so many shades of not workable too. Is it? That's very true. Yep. Is it a little broken, but he's willing to take them? Does he make some of those shots he, he makes? Is he not taking them at all? That would be horrifying. Uh, so it look, we're gonna need a lot more information than than not workable. I I agree with you too. It's this is gonna be a longer process than I think a lot of people think. Uh, I think even if he does get his shot back, it's not going to all come back in one summer working with with Drew Hanlon. Even though he uh, Drew Hanlon will become an absolute hero in Philadelphia if Markell shows even a decent amount of progress. So yeah, I, I, I can't wait until next Saturday, next Saturday, he's going to have to show it to all of us. So that he will. All right. Um, and it'll be so much from a, an, an analyst and a reporter perspective. I'll be so much happier when we can talk about this topic with even a little bit of information. All right. Uh, from Sean Wolford at Sean Wolford. If Fultz comes back as a player drafted out of Washington, how long before he's inserted in the starting lineup and for who? So when I was thinking about this, because, you know, as we talked about with those SI rankings earlier, that was the best high minutes lineup in the league last year. So a couple of options. Let's say, and that'd be awesome if Fultz, you know, Washington Fultz showed up. What about Washington Fultz off the bench, a la James Harden in Oklahoma City? Because, you know, when I look at who who they should take off the floor, to me, Covington you have to keep on as a complimentary player. Uh, and, and then it becomes more of 
you would want a guy who can you can funnel the offense through when when the Sixers stars sit. Although as we know, the the Sixers they they break up their stars more than any other team in the league. So it's it's a little bit different than than your normal team. Um uh, to me I I think Sarich is the guy you'd rather have off the bench because theoretically I think you can run more offense through him than Covington, but uh you know, I I Keeping Fultz off the uh, off the bench for a while would be a good thing too. Let him let him row second units. Yeah, no, I think you know I I, I don't expect Markel even even if he looks great. I still kind of expect the team to go into the season with the same starting lineup last year, in large part because if it's not broken, why why change it? And it is not broken, man. It is not broken. Yeah, I think they're going to want to see Markel prove himself in game actions. I'm sure there are some people within the front office who would love to see Markel come out, kill it in training camp, and 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 be in that starting lineup. But I, I wouldn't. I I expect them to be a little bit more conservative. And you know, I think if he does, you know, I, like you, Covington wouldn't go anywhere if I were running the team. And I don't really expect Brett Brown to move Covington out of the starting lineup either, because I think when you drafted Markel, besides the fact that you know, he had so much on-ball playmaking ability, which, contra- you know, kind of meshed with Ben Simmons and what he doesn't necessarily bring in a half-court offense. Besides that pick-and-roll game, you also looked at it and you said, okay, 6'4", 7-foot wingspan, put him with Simmons, put him with Covington, with Embiid behind them, and holy shit, you can have a heck of a, a defensive lineup while, while not sacrificing too much on the offensive end. And I look at that and... Defenders still respect Covington's shot, even when he's slumping. You have that kind of defensive versatility. I don't see Brett Brown going away from that. I would bring Covington off the bench. And a lot of people assume Reddick, I think because they see, you know, Markell is a guard and Reddick's a guard, that, that that's going to end up being the change. And, uh, okay, Markell's playing the two, that means Reddick's going out. I don't see any chance they take, unless J.J. Reddick takes a big step back, I don't see any chance they take J.J. Reddick off the court out of that starting lineup and take his gravity and ball and, and movement off the ball. I, he's not going anywhere. You know, I think they, when you have forwards, defensive forwards, like Simmons, like Covington, you have a lot of flexibility in what you can do. And just because Markel's a guard, you can, you can still keep JJ on the court. So I think if I had to project, it would be Dario. And I don't think that's, I don't particularly care too much about who starts and who doesn't in terms of, oh, well, you can't take Dario. He's too good to be a bench player. I much more care about how the five pieces on the starting lineup mesh, how much versatility they have, because that's going to be your game to game starting lineup. You don't, you, you don't have any real ability to dictate lineups. You want the one that can compete against the most number of teams. And you can then bring Dario in and substitute based on flow of the game. So I think, I think it would end up being Dario, but I also think that it makes sense to be conservative with Markel and make sure that, you know, he's, he's good to go. He's good to go against NBA competition. And give that a little time to play out. It's not, I don't consider it a failure in any way. If Markel comes, starts the season off the bench, in fact, it's, it's what I expect to happen. They, they substitute so quickly that. Right. We're talking about four minutes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and I, I wouldn't bring Reddick off the bench either. He's such a creature of habit. Uh, and he's been starting for a while now. And by the way, like when we talk about the starting lineup, they play the four minutes in the first, four minutes in the fourth, and that's usually about it. There's usually not many other rotations they have throughout the game. Maybe maybe to close it out, to quote unquote walk it down, but that that's really about it. All right, uh, let's see. From off season, Phil, 
Uh, at the beginning of last season, Covington showed some shooting off movement, uh, like coming off of screens. It disappeared later. Do you think he should add this aspect to his game? Could it be even more important than his ball handling? Did he show shooting off movement at the beginning of last season? A little bit. A little bit. You know, I think... He was so, just making everything, though. Yeah, I think that's probably what it was, too. You know, I think... Here, here, here's what I'll say. I think Covington works to add that to his game. I think he should work to add that to his game. But I think this front office and this coaching staff... You know, so when, when, when Sam Hankey and his crew were here, they allowed people to... Not experiment, but to work in games on what they were working on in practice. Because let's be honest, winning wasn't the goal. Development was. Put them in, in, put people in new situations and see how they respond. See w- which skills translate over, see which aspects they were working on translated over and get those repetitions. Now they're trying to win basketball games. So Covington, who maybe had more of a green light in terms of shooting off of screens and in, in terms of trying to create off the dribble, you're going to dial that back a little bit because each possession counts. So I think he's going to still work on it. You know, I think he's going to work on his ball handling. I think he's going to work on shooting off of screens. Are you going to see it more in games? I don't know. I don't, I don't. Expect overnight a 20, what, 27 year old Covington or whatever he is to all of a sudden become a good dribble penetrator. I don't, I, I don't, you know, I think by and large what you have, you're going to see incremental improvement, but I'm sure he's still working on it. I'm sure he should work on it. What's more important, shooting off of screens or having a dribble? Um, you know, I, I'd probably say dribble just because it's easier to keep defenders honest, but I mean, being able to come off of a screen and, and, and rise and shoot would be a, a huge bonus too. Both of them would be. Huge developments. I'm just not sure I necessarily expect it. It certainly seems like he's working more on the ball handling front this summer. That that that, that seems fair. I think that uh, that playoff series where he struggled against Boston st- stuck out to him in that regard, and and the Sixers as well. And he's uh, again, it's only been some uh, <laughs> some Instagram videos and, and other things, but it seems like that's what he's working on. All right, from John Shields at Pep Wave. Should we be concerned about Ben's future given his affinity for L.A. lifestyle and his close friendship with LeBron James? This one gets brought up a lot. A lot. Uh, That's why I included it. Yeah. It's, uh... Look, it would be totally unprecedented for him to leave after his rookie deal. Has that ever happened? A player who has been offered a max-level contract by their team says, nah, I'm going to play on my qualifying offer and then bounce the next season. I don't think that's Great ever question. happened. Number I'm two. Sure there's an obvious one, but no, it, it almost never happens for sure. Number two, I the whole NBA goes to L.A. in the summer. Like I, I, That's not exclusive to Ben Simmons. Right. He also seems to really like it here. Re- like He's really, I, I think, embraced you know playing for Philadelphia. I, I I'll put it this way. Um, from the Lakers' perspective, if LeBron, or if the Lakers have a max salary slot three off seasons from now, I don't think LeBron's going to be happy about that. He no. he wants to win. I I get it that he's being patient and and this year he's playing with that uh <laughs> with that uh strange eccentric group of players. That they brought in. But we're talking about three off seasons from now when he would first get a crack at Simmons. I feel like he's going to want to compete in the, uh, 
in the seasons between now and then. The, uh, so, so I would just say this, like, if Ben takes that extension, which almost everybody does, and again, this is a good situation and a player that you've, who's grown up here, then you have six seasons until, uh, until he goes to Los Angeles. So, like, can I say it's impossible that, that he'll lead, that, uh, you know, out of the question that he won't bolt for Los Angeles at some point? No, I have no idea. A lot of things can change. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure in 2010 or 2011, some Thunder podcast was talking about this with, with Durant and Westbrook and they, those guys seem to love their city. Things, things can change quickly, but I, I do think for the amount that question gets asked, it, it's just, to me, that, that question, wh- when it'll be answered is so far in the future that I, I just, I, f- I feel like people are worrying about it a little bit too much. Yeah. So what I'll say is, should you be concerned? I think there's always room for concern that a superstar will leave. That's kind of the, the culture the NBA has cultivated here. As much as they like to talk about superstar retention and they took some steps, um, with the designated veteran exception and designated player exception after the Durant debacle. But I think by and large, the NBA has said, look, superstars can join each other in other cities. And they made the, the cap friendly to that kind of team building strategy. So part of the whole point of why the Sixers went through what they did is to become that destination where superstars will want to go to. So is there a chance? Yeah, there's always a chance. But I think by and large, it rarely happens for players coming off of rookie deals. You typically have, you know, even if you want to talk about maybe a, a player forcing his way out on the second contract, you typically still have six or seven seasons before that becomes a real problem. And you're only through two for Ben Simmons. And who's to say that during that time, the Sixers aren't the ones who become the destination rather than the ones that, that players are fleeing away from. So does he like LeBron? Sure. Are they close? Sure. I'm sure they are. But like the fact that we tried to read a lot in the LeBron's Instagram posts over the, over the last spring and the two of them hanging out in a good way. Now that LeBron's kind of settled and we know where he's going to go, the next obvious question becomes, well, does Ben Simmons join him rather than LeBron joining Ben Simmons? And in both cases, I think we probably read way too much into that. You know, I think Ben hanging out with LeBron didn't prove in any way that LeBron was coming here. I think Ben hanging out with LeBron, LeBron doesn't prove that, you know, Ben's leaving. So I don't, you know, is there a concern? Sure. The way you arrest that concern is by building a good team and competing year in and year out. Yeah. A couple more points on this. Congrats to Mike Levin on his show. Absolutely. Uh, that's awesome. It, uh, it's, it's really, it's, it's incredible to see Mike have that kind of success. I'm very happy for him. Uh, another win in the old LB gangs <laughs> tool belt. It is, uh, it, it's, I, I always love it when, when people from that era have success and Mike's been great. Could you imagine a better show for him too? I know. He's writing about a fucking sixer. Right. That's right. unbelievable. Uh, so that's awesome. Uh, the Instagram video, I think it was in New York. I think it might have been at, uh, wherever the hell Chris Brickley does his workouts of Simmons and LeBron teaming up against, uh, against it looked like Tim Hardaway and Enos Kanter. Uh, and it was funny. Number one, cause it was like, could you imagine if those two played together? It's like, well, I, I think we spent a lot of time imagining right. that uh, earlier this summer. And then number Everyone two. Everyone listening to this podcast has imagined that, yes. <laughs> and uh, it was really funny watching. 
watching those guys just dunk all over the Knicks. And it's like, oh man, it's like the Knicks had to play against these guys. It's like, well, they almost had to play against these guys four times a year. So I, I think they, they'll probably prefer playing against those two in an informal summer setting. Uh, and, and one last thing on, you know, cause, cause I guess I just had been thinking about any parallels between Durant and Westbrook and Simmons and Embiid. How about this factor? We're not Oklahoma City, man. There, this is a better market than Oklahoma City for most players. Just putting it out there. Yep. All right, one more. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't think either of those two are divisive as Westbrook can be either. And I think Westbrook's liked by his teammates, but I mean, play style. You know, I think it, it's. I think Simmons and Embiid kind of have some stuff to work out on how they can work better together. But I think their natural tendencies shouldn't alienate each other. And I think that's. That's important too. Last one, and then we will let you go. From Timmy Letterman, what news will break after after we record this podcast? I think we already answered it. I think uh, I think there's going to be a, a massive overhaul. Uh, <laughs> but I, something is coming for sure. I think if we ever did a did an, uh, a podcast about grading all of Josh Harris's moves, the uh, they would sell the team right then. <laughs> that's true and of course we like we did that podcast grading brian colangelo back in i want to say february or march so not a whole lot of decisions after that go check it out still holds up not many of our podcasts do thanks for jumping on rich and we will talk to you soon see you man I attract clientele. My mic check is life for death. Breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke of Buddha through righteous steps. To-